Stacey Harris and John Simpson, and it's our annual We Have Almost Recovered from the HR Tech Conference show. How are you, Stacey? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I can't complain at the moment. I'm still sitting in my hotel room, but I will be out of here as soon as we're done with the show to finish up a few more things. But yeah, it is. it has been a crazy week. There is no doubt about it. There's a nice thing about the radio show. It gives me a little bit of break because I, I can't afford to run down to the hall and then come back to do the radio show. But you actually took two more meetings this morning. I don't know how you do it, John. Uh, you pro- how many meetings did you have here this week? Uh, I lost track. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe 35. <laughs> um, um, and, and But that was in the middle of giving. I had the best time. I gave three presentations, and a couple of them were the best things I've ever done. And and so wow. um, um, it was it was it was great to do that. And then and then I had the the delightful opportunity to be invited to sixteen dinners and three nights. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and any, anybody who's, You're a anybody guy, who's from, well, anybody who's from a large family knows that that's what Thanksgiving is like for yeah. for some people. And it was it was just like that. It was like going from from small group of people who I know and love to small group of people who I know and love and getting to spend less time with them than I'd like. But, but I got to see lots of people and that was great. That is, that is definitely very good. I don't think I had 16 dinners. I tried to keep it to just a couple dinners a night, mostly cocktail events before the dinners, but yeah, they, there's definitely no less food and running from one end of the Venetian to the other end of the Venetian when it comes to the HR technology conference, at least on the evening events. But yeah, I I had um, launched the HR or the annual HR system survey here on uh, Wednesday. Um, actually, I, it was really very exciting to sort of get a chance to. Um, see how things are evolving in the HR technology market and then share it at the session that we did because we did a lot of sort of analysis that we've, you know, had for the last five years in our session this year. And um, the room was packed, 200 people attended it, which actually blew me away because it was at the same time as many great other sessions. Um, so it continues to tell me that people are really interested in what's happening in this HR tech market over time. Um, not only just from sort of how do I implement the, the the technology and what do I do with the technology, but you know how do I get an impact out of it? That's that was the conversation we had in our sessions. Um, I didn't have a panel this year, which I wasn't sure if I was going to like or not because it was it's always nice to have uh, a group of people to sort of talk about the data with, but it helped a lot in getting more information to the audience that they seem to appreciate the fact that we have the extra 20 or 30 minutes without the panel. So I think we'll probably do that next year. Um, yeah, but it, it was, we had within the first day almost uh, 200 downloads in the first hour or two of, of launching the annual HR system survey paper here at the HR Tech Conference. So busy day for both of us, I guess. Tell me a little yeah. more, John, about the, the panel you ran, because that was the thing I heard the most about from everybody was your panel. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, oh yeah, it was it was amazing. So, so the idea of the panel... Um, it's it's 
is it's a hybrid of a demo and a panel. And the idea was to get four companies who did things that were so different that you could find how they overlapped um, in the AI sector. So there was a there's the Swoop Talent who does um, um, complex real-time machine learning enabled data management that allows you to do other machine learning related things. There's Ultimate Software who has built their tool around um, a, the, the entire suite of Ultimate Software is built around a um, voice of the employee natural language processing system. Um, Move, um, what are they calling themselves now? Um, Modern Hire is the result of a merger between Shaker and Montage. So you've got a full spectrum um, pipeline tool for taking people from an experience of working in the job through an interview process and using that as data. And KeenCorp, who examines the flow of digital communications to identify places where there's tension in the organization that is either the reflection of something bad going on or something bad that's about to happen. Um, and so so you can't imagine four different points of view. And and the 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 fun part of the panel was they, they all did, we rehearsed hard. Every every one of those companies rehearsed with me till they could do their presentation in under seven minutes. And then then we talked about a lot of things, but I asked them the hardest question I could think of asking them. Um, and they all did a great job answering those questions. And then to get this whole thing set, we, we started with breakfast the, in the morning. And um, um, by the end of breakfast i had to leave they stayed by the end of breakfast they were all really good friends and so so the the end of the panel was the four companies then the question was outside of your own company what's the smartest thing you've seen in ai and hr tech and what what they really did was talk about how to improve the offerings of each other so it was a kind of you know, in this early stage of technology, what you want is for the people who are at the at the forefront of development to be understanding each other's problems and communicating about those problems so that there's rich learning. And the the people in the, the people in the panel did that in front of an audience. It was awesome. Wow. They were. It was so amazing, it was, and 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 I got to sort of stand on the sidelines and take credit for it. So it was great. <laughs> well, I definitely heard about it, and and I think you know, and I had a conversation with a few of them. So I talked to Modern Hire, I talked to Sue Talent, and and I know from both what I, you've talked with me about, what you're what you're seeing in your report that. You know, the conversations with those organizations were very, very different in some cases from what I saw from some of the traditional organizations, right? You know, these guys are, are breaking the mold. I think it's the best way to put it about how you think about HR and its role in the organization, right? Like what it fundamentally can do. They're also, I have to be a little honest, they're also a little arrogant, not in a bad way, but about how much they think this can 
um, predict and uh, help organizations make better decisions, you know, the, the, the skeptic in me was really pushing, particularly on modern hire, about, you know, well, what happens if, you know, as you move your product down road, down road because they're talking about doing more of a, a mid-market and SMB um, platform, you know, how do you deal with the fact that these small HR functions don't have highly trained HR analytics professionals in them, and they're getting the same data, and they may not know how to use it? So I will have to say I probably put a couple of them on the spot with those questions, but I, I think you're right. They're, these these organizations are, are rethinking what's happening and reshaping, to some extent, HR for a lot of organizations. Yeah. The question is, are they yeah. ready for it, right? Well, I am not sure if the question is 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 HR ready for it. I'm not sure HR is going to have choice in this, right? That's the that's a, your question presumes that the way that HR becomes something else is that HR is in charge of its own destiny. I, I, I don't think that's <laughs> true. true. I don't think that's true. I think HR works for the company, <laughs> and so and so if the company needs HR to become something else, that's what HR will become. Um, and and the rest of the company is moving faster than we are towards a, a a way of running the company that involves a scientific question at the heart of the company. And and having a scientific question at the heart of the company means that you have a continuous stream of hypotheses some of which are wrong, some of which are right, but all of which make your next question better, right? And so so the model of um, software and the 20th century was what comes out of a computer is an answer. Um, and in the, in the intelligent tools arena, what comes out of the computer is a rule of thumb that might be right and it might not be right. And that's an entirely a different relationship. It's a probability, and it's a yeah. it's a good probability. But it's but what I've been saying lately is it's like you hired a historian, and and she's a great she's the best historian ever, and she's got all of the history, and she can see the history all different, but she can't see the present and she can't see the future, yeah. and she can tell you if nothing changed this is what the future would be. But we live in a world where... Or if all where, the things where, that we predict might change, or because they are adding options, things in there. I think you'll get some pushback that it's about nothing, if nothing changes. It's if nothing changes and we know all the possible things that could happen in the future, right? But we don't. That's the bigger issue, right? Right, right. Well, they're, they're adding options, but it's still, it's data generated by the co company. So it's the past. Um, and there isn't a um, there isn't a way to speculate about for a machine to speculate about a future that hasn't happened. They can only speculate about things that have already happened. Well, this will be. I think this is going to be the quandary for the for the next generation of HR technologists. I mean, one of the things that that we talked about in the presentation that I did this week was the fact that. Um, and I think you're right. The businesses are moving ahead. You know, our data found, we ask a question on a regular basis about whether or not um, HR is 
perceived in the organization to be a strategic business partner. And the other options would be you know, on their way to being a strategic business partner or they're a compliance-based organization. And as senior executives who answer our survey, so the, the CEOs, the CFOs, and there's, there's quite a few of them uh, in the smaller organizations and definitely a lot of CFOs and CTOs and CIOs who answer it in larger organizations. And those professionals were much more likely at 54%, 60, almost 60% to say that they saw HR as a strategic business partner. If they didn't see them as a strategic business partner, then they were compliance. There was no sort of middle ground for them. You're either a strategic partner or you're compliance focused. HR professionals, when you ask them, the directors and managers, they were smack dab in the middle. Most of them thought that they were on their way to being strategic partners. And I think you're right. Business isn't waiting. If you're if you're not there with me doing this, then I'm that I'm only going to view you as a compliance function, and that HR's got to be there, right? Yep, I think that's right. But I'm I'm seeing these pretty amazing sites. So, so you'd imagine that in an airline, the HR department would be heavily concerned with compliance, right? Yeah. That because because everybody has to have their certificates so the planes don't fall out of the air. Uh, it's an important thing for us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I depend on the HR department of the airlines to be concerned about credentials and certification um, and and the legal issues associated with those things. I was with a big airline CHRO last night, and um, they're doing strategic workforce planning on a decade timeline and running it like it's a portfolio rather than a spreadsheet that you have to fill out. And they're doing things like, because, because one of their goals is to have a, um, a uh, 50% representation of women in their pilot crews by 10 years from now. In order to do that, they are starting aviation departments in universities with money and airplanes <laughs> and, and 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 the the thing that you have to do if you want to be in one of these programs is you have to guarantee an outflow rate of the right percentage of of diversity content out of the program right so they're building their own supply uh, on a 10 year basis and that's what a strategic partner looks like I would agree that that a strategic partner is definitely they handle the compliance. It's just part of the job, but they are really thinking about the whole organization. And I love that word portfolio, right? Like it, it, it you're, you're you're figuring out, you know, which areas are you going to bet on? And and bet may not be the right word when you come to people. You don't want to bet on on a, on a workforce in some cases, but you are trying to decide which professionals and skill sets and areas in your organization you're going to have to lift up and invest in. And that takes some real thinking. It also, you know, it also takes data. And, you know, it'd be interesting to find out a little bit about that organization over time to find out what they're doing within their organization to ensure that they have good, solid data inside that workforce plan, right? Um, One of the things I had a conversation with across the board with almost all the vendors that I had was this challenge of getting good data into all their systems because organizations are struggling with the amount of time the professionals have to fill out the information, put it in place. One of the, I had someone who came up to me after my session when I was talking about the fact that 
you know, HR actually has a skills gap. We have a, an issue where a lot of professionals are saying, we don't know how to use the technology and tools in our data set. And the, and the professional came up to me from a, it was a large manufacturing organization, and he said, it's not skills gap. I tell them how important the data is. They can't use the system if they don't know how, if they don't have the data in it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, have you, have you heard a lot about this idea of data acquisition being the problem and with any of the organizations you're talking to? Um, no, I, I haven't heard that, but, but there's this there's this standard joke in the world that I've been inhabiting, and that is um, machine learning is 80% data cleaning and 20% complaining about data cleaning. Um, and <laughs> and I think that's part of what they're talking about, is that, is that yeah. getting the data is hard on a number of levels. And... Um, um, I, but I, but I want to take you back to something, right? The, 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 I think this is the difference between a compliance-oriented HR department and a strategic HR department is in a compliance-oriented HR department, risk is something that you solve. And the job of HR with risk is to um, completely minimize risk. And so if you see risk, you try to put it out like it's a fire. In a strategic HR department, risk is something that you optimize because everything's got risk in it, and particularly portfolio management has risk in it. And so yeah. what you do instead of trying to minimize the risk or make the risk go away is you allocate assets against risk profiles um, based on trying to accomplish a larger goal, right? And you know because there's risk in the equation that some things are going to work and some things won't work. And what you do once you've allocated the risk across the entire portfolio is you watch performance and you change the mix based on performance. Um, and um, that kind of thinking you're starting to see at the top of the most strategic HR organizations, but it's what you have to do if you're going to take a workforce from today and move it into the future. No, I, I, I think that you, that's a very good explanation of it. I mean, you know, when, when, when we look at the, the data set of organizations, you know, if your focus is trying to mitigate, right, which is, is definitely part of this risk management conversation, you're always looking backwards. You're always trying to stop people from doing something, right? That's the mitigation component of it. If right. your focus is growth and value, then you're, then you're then you're going to allow them to take some risks, knowing that you might. I mean, I think a really good example of this is, you know, what we saw happening with the machine learning and the hiring process. Several of the large global organizations came out and said, "Look, we we tried to do recruiting, got bias in our systems. Here's why this isn't working." But they but they took the chance to do it, right? You have to right. take risks when you're doing some of these systems. You, know, it's interesting that you you know that this conversation is in light of the, the vendors that I spoke with this week, I, I could almost to a T tell you which of the vendors that I spoke with this week are managing their people and their organizations with that eye towards we're willing to take some risk, and while we're taking that risk, we're going to build something that's better than what we had before versus those who are trying to manage their businesses based off of keeping their customers and trying to make sure they're not leaving them and trying to make sure, you know, it's a very interesting dynamic, you know, when you put that kind of conversation about people and risk and compliance versus um, strategic in the view of, you know, the kind of briefings we had this week. I mean, one of the organizations I thought did probably the best briefing that I had this week 
was Paychex. Um, Paychex is a very, you know, mature, been around for a lot of years, uh, payroll compliance organization. That's generally what they're known as. I don't think anybody would, that would have said, you know, five years ago that they have, you know, the sexiest of technology, but it was a great piece of technology for, for very small organizations who wanted to sort of jump off of something like a, you know, a spreadsheet. Um, and their whole conversation with me this week pointed when they came in, they sat down, they specifically wanted to tell me about what they were doing with, you know, gathering data and using it from a benchmarking perspective. They wanted to talk to me about how they were using their technology to start gathering data from workforces through wearables and through the biometric that they were how that was going to enable their businesses to allow their workforces to be more flexible and to you know put their information in in different places and not make the burden on the employee to sort of clock in at, at places where it didn't make sense for them. They were really thinking, I think, in a in a much more forward sense about a lot of these things that a lot of organizations are shying away from because they're afraid of some of the risk around it, right? Um, but they also had answers for a lot of the compliance conversations I had about GDPR and if they go global, what does that look like and where are the challenges with that? So, you know, we can see this even in the vendors that we're working with. Did you find any vendors who were sort of, besides obviously the the ones that you, you talked about on your panel, but who were sort of differentiating what they were doing based off of concerns about risk versus where they're heading in the future? Well, well. So the the vendor who I saw that that got my attention the most was was the last one, and it could be that, that they were the last one. But but <laughs> Salary dot com pre presented a very interesting tool that allows you this. This is going to sound so mundane. Uh, the tool allows you to do market based pricing of an individual job with an individual performer. So. So you can you can get the market price for a job, and and you can set a policy so that tells you what what the band is in the market price. But but the market price for a software engineer who's who has 17 years of experience with blah 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 blah, they can tell you they can tell you what that's supposed to look like, and that gives you the capacity to solve the compensation equity problem in individual conversations right which is which is astonishing and and it creates the yeah. possibility that you can actually if you were to install a um a transparent compensation philosophy designed to eliminate pay equity problems in the short term across the workforce you could install a comprehensive skills inventory of your company in the process of making that um, pay equity problem solve um, and give yourself a leg up on out year strategic workforce planning, right? And, and, and the idea that that could emerge out of the compensation department, I don't think anybody would look for the solution to that problem there. Uh, right, the the how do we make yeah. sense out of the skills inventory of the organization, and there it is, there it is, and so so and and it's all a uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence kind of underpinning in a very rich taxonomy and a very rich competencies database that they now have a mechanism for deploying it on an individual by individual basis rather than 
the big struggling organic um, organizational processes that trudge through each category, getting the thing done. I, I was just blown away by that possibility. Blown away. I, you know, I many of my best friends are compensation analysts, as I have told you before. <laughs> so so some are, of my best friends of, are compensation analysts? Jeez. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you poor thing. I, I know. I love them. Um, these are people who have more insight into the organization than any other function. I, You know, so you are correct. I, I, what fascinates me about what you're talking about there is to do that, you have to trust your managers, the culture has to be so transparent about what we're, you're doing with pay equity, right? Um, but I think most comp analysts I talk to would love to be able to have that level of assuredness, right, of, of allowing managers to have those conversations, and then their jobs would be much more focused on what we just talked about earlier, which is the workforce planning and risk manage, and, and, and management conversations where they can actually start to do forecasting, which most, most compensation analysts can barely get to forecasting models because all they're doing is playing around with pay bands and comp reviews and, and looking at different variations of what options are and arguing with managers about what can and cannot be done within their system, right? Um, so, yeah, no, I think that's a fascinating, you know, opportunity. But it also means that companies' cultures have to change. I mean, it, there was definitely a lot of organizations that, that I talked to this week. I, I had some great conversations with some workforce management technologies like Time Clock Plus and Workforce Software. I talked to Ceridian a little bit. Um, also talked um, with many of the enterprise systems who have their own. I've talked to Kronos as well, I should say, um, who have their own workforce management systems. And what I found across all of them that was very interesting is that every one of those technologies is touching large swaths of employees in the organization. Their time clocks are gathering data. Their softwares are gathering data. They're um, gathering data in multiple ways from employees. They have a lot of the skills information you're talking about. And those technologies are starting to realize the power of what they have as well. And so I think what you're going to find is that systems that we previously didn't think of as strategic tools in our organization, like compensation tools, like workforce management tools, are going to be really interesting because they have more data and they have more opportunities for machine learning to actually do something with that data in the next generation of environments, right? Um, I think the same thing about payroll systems as well. Those technologies that oftentimes get relegated to either operations or administrative roles are going to be the sexiest technology in the next five years. They have so many cool things that are coming out. I, I would recommend anybody who hasn't paid attention to their workforce management system in the next last year or so to start looking at some of these new technologies that come, are coming out um, in the product areas that I saw. Oh, did I lose John? John, did you drop off on us?
Well, I'm not sure if I'm still on the air or John's still on the air. So I'm going to go ahead and say that at this point, you guys have heard a lot about some of the things that we talked about, and we're going to wrap up our call for HR Tech 2019. Um, and I'm sure there'll be a whole lot of more conversations that'll come out of our notes for next week. So thanks to everyone. Bye. Hey, Julian, I think we're going to have to figure out how to end this show in some other clever way. Stacy, my, my line crapped out, and listeners, thanks for tuning in. Um, we'll finish up the rest of this conversation next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye.